0: Welcome
1: to the Mumbrella podcast, brought to you as usual from the studios of CBS Interactive. I'm Tim Burrows. This week, we chat to Kidsco TV Managing Director Paul Robinson about generation multitask. In digital, Telstra explains why it pulled the plug on its second life. And Google rakes in the cash again. In radio, we say goodbye to Vega and hello to classic rock. The battle of big thinking, reports from the Brainiac front line. Also, we ask, are Aussie brands failing to make the most of their digital newsrooms? And new lifestyle website cherry-picked, hit or miss? Joining me as usual, Umbrella Deputy Editor Camille Alicom. Hello. Scott Rohde of PR Agency House Party. Hey, Tim. And our guest for the week, friend of the podcast, Paul Robinson, Managing Director of Kids Co. Great to be back. Thank you. So, Paul, yeah, welcome back. Now, um, this week, you uh, one of the many things you did, you were here for the Astro Conference, but you also uh, gave a speech about technology creating this new generation. I think you, you called it Generation
0: MT. What did you mean by that? <laughs> Well, the hypothesis was this, really, and that is that um, if you think back to when you were a child, you know, if you misbehaved, you know, what your mum and your dad would do was say, you know, go to your room, and, and you know, that was designed to be punishment and you know, deprivation. But of course, now if you send a child to their room, they've got television, they've got their MP3 player, they've got their mobile phone, they're probably online on their computer. So you know, children's bedrooms these days are Aladdin's cave of technology. So go to my bedroom, mum, no problem at all. Um, and, and the point I was making really was thinking about television and linear television, Um, is linear TV going to eventually be dead as a medium? And, And if so, when's that going to happen and what's it going to be replaced by? And what's very interesting is some new stats by Nielsen in the US that have just come out show... That although uh, children are actually watching less TV than they were, they're now spending a lot more time on uh, digital video delivered online, all the other technologies we've just talked about, and in fact, overall, they're spending more time with technology, more time with media than they were 10 years ago. And how can that be? Because there's only 24 hours in a day, and kids have to go to school. And essentially, what's happening is there's just much more multitasking going on. Kids are just great at doing this, you know. And, and classically, you know, a child will be. Online, they'll be listening to music, they'll be watching the TV and still claim to do their homework.
1: And is there a social process, a social part to it as well? So, for instance, if they're watching television, are they also talking about it with their friends online. So are they sharing the experience, or is it literally something completely different they're doing?
0: Well, I think there's also this perception of children that they've lost the ability to talk to people because they're spending all their time on social networking sites and aren't actually able to converse, you know, one-to-one. And I think the evidence is actually that's untrue. What they're actually doing is they're using technology to converse, and they're probably sharing their thoughts, whether they're about TV or anything else in their lives, as much or more than we as adults do. It's just the perception is that because it's a different world, adults don't get it. And I think children actually are very much using TV as a general currency for their lives.
2: It's really interesting. Uh, The other day when I was at AdTech, someone, one of the speakers said, it isn't so much that they're multitasking, they just flip from one device or one channel from the other just really quickly. So I don't know if, if there's actually a difference between multitasking, maybe... It is multitasking still, per se.
0: I guess that's right. I mean, I guess the question is, how much is happening simultaneously, and how quickly are they flicking? Mm -hmm. And I think you're absolutely right that kids can flick from one thing to another very, very fast, and it doesn't phase them at all. I mean, you just see how uh, a young person or a child will actually use even a remote on TV. They're they're much quicker about choosing what they want, and they can flick through a whole range of channels and quickly make a decision and say, I'm going to go for that one. Mm -hmm. Whereas an adult goes, hey, slow down, slow down, slow down, let me see what's going on. So I think it's probably a combination of both. I think you're right.
1: And what does it maybe mean for print as a medium for instance because something like magazines or newspapers is very hard to multitask with does that mean they they've an opportunity because they have this attention span when pe- when people are consuming them
0: or actually does it kind of lock them out to generation mt i think that uh, kids just don't really think of newspapers and the physical printed word as being significant to them as being online you know, they expect to get all that information actually on a the screen. Uh, they don't particularly think of newspapers as being a medium of choice or indeed magazines. And I think that probably uh, those uh, media are going to decline even faster with kids than they are already with adults. I mean, the indications are that the newspaper industry is heavily challenged and may probably eventually become an online medium totally. So I think they're not part of their their, their thinking. The other one is radio too. I mean, radio is actually um, a difficult medium for young people and is definitely losing traction. You know, they see it as... They see it as um, uh, you know, audio delivered, you know, online. They don't necessarily see being um, a linear radio station uh, in in a sequence. That's just not the way they think yeah, you about it. They can choose what they want. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I almost wonder with radio whether one of the opportunities for radio is, and again, this, this I guess one of the things that sort of provoked my thinking was both ad tech which we'll talk about a bit later and also battle of the big thinking that we'll talk about later is this idea that discovery is going to become increasingly important as more information more music comes through and whether that's radio's opportunity to kind of reconnect is actually being a a discovery medium for people wanting to find new music
0: well certainly when i was young i used to use the radio that way you know I'd, i'd listen to you know radio one for example in the uk which is a station that's got a good mix of new music as well as familiar music and that was the basis on which you then went and bought a song and bought a record, I mean, a physical record in those days. And you hear it on the radio and you have a DJ who basically you trusted because you had a relationship with that DJ. That DJ recommended some music to you and you played it on the radio and you thought, hey, that's great. And then you went and bought it. Um, so much radio now is moving to become the familiar or segmented formats where you, you choose a particular format. I do think there's an issue about how you get exposed to new music. Um, so... Somehow you've got to have uh, radio stations which are multi-formatted. We'll, we'll talk radio. Operation. We'll yeah. talk
1: radio formats a little bit later on. Now, one of the things that brings you to Australia is the ASTRA conference, which is the conference of the subscription television industry. Now, the um, the, the, the the panel that you were brought in on was the uh, disconcertingly vague "content is king," and I guess um, the the position you're coming from is talking about the importance of content mm-hmm. to a channel like KidsCo,
0: where you've got to persuade people that it's worth subscribing to. Well, I think the big challenge in Australia is you've got three big buckets of funding for television. You've clearly got the free-to-air networks, which are very powerful still, um, complaining and bleating but getting good subsidies from the government, some might argue unfair subsidies. Uh, you've got uh, the ABC who are getting more money and more money for childrens as well um, and, and appears to be pretty well funded in, um, in a, maybe a tough economic time. Terrible time to launch KidsCo then, wasn't it? Well, no, uh, no, not at all. And uh, then you've got the subscription television industry. Now, I, my point of view is this, that I think subscription TV is incredibly good value. I think the offer that Foxtel and Oster have in, in Australia is extremely good value. Well, there's clearly a lot more work to be done to persuade people that indeed is the case. And when you say pay for television, there is some resistance from some people. They don't understand why they should pay for television. They think advertising-funded TV is free. They think the ABC is free. Both, of course, are not free, but they perceive them to be free. Um, and that's that's the challenge. And no, the, the reason for launching Kidsco at the similar time to uh, the ABC was actually to ensure there was a balance. It was to ensure that Foxstar and Allstar did have something new to say, had some new content, had some new reasons for people to subscribe, whilst ABC was upping its game as well.
1: And uh, Kidsco, not just in this market in Australia, but also in the UK, for instance. How actually is it going as a as a business? Well,
0: we're growing very fast. I think when I was here last time, we had about 60 countries. We're now up to 83 um, in 18 languages, so we're growing very rapidly indeed with some big new launches uh, later on this year, including South Africa and Italy and Malaysia, so we continue to grow. Um, as far as Australia is concerned, uh, we're, we're new. You know, We launched in November. Um, we'll get our first rating numbers in the next few weeks, which will be both exciting and scary, but uh, fingers crossed I think we should do well. We've had very good response. I mean, the website is generating about a third of a million hits a month, um, we're running competitions and getting about 6,000 entries a month from people. So kids are watching. Uh, you know, We think it's a good start, but obviously with the new guys, and we're going to build from here.
1: Okay, now, um, it, as I've been saying, it's a big week for conferences. So, uh, AdTech, which focus on the, the digital advertising industry, um, uh, Camille and myself are both there. Camille, you Scott was there as well. Oh, Scott, you're you're right you, you, you popped in, did you yeah. say? Yeah, so? yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> good of you to, uh, good of you to, uh, to okay. join us. Yes. I don't think our paths crossed at all. No, no, all I was quite to so. about that. No, I think well, I saw well, him
3: running obviously.
2: away from you when he saw you. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was probably all. it. So, Camille, your, 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 your overall impressions, mm. first of
2: all. I suppose, you know, as journalists, for one, we go to a lot of conferences, so slightly cynical about it all. At the end of the day, I think the content is all a bit much of a muchness, but so, there were some interesting discussions, especially, not least because of the apparently it's the year of the mobile, guys, if you haven't heard from every wow. year. <laughs> <laughs> Since
3: 2001, year of the mobile.
2: I mean, from a consumer perspective, I, there's no doubt about that. Um, I don't think marketing, I, I, I actually joined the, one of the sessions regarding mobile marketing, didn't really. I wasn't convinced it was the year of the mobile in terms of mobile marketing, but absolutely, it's all about the consumer. Um, And the only thing that I find with some of these conferences is You've got five minutes for Q and A at the end of a session, and it's almost as though, actually, you know what? Maybe we should be more integrated within the conversations instead of being spoke talked at for half an hour for forty minutes. Yeah,
3: that's that's the, that's the format we chose for our digital citizens event, which was more audience participation. Because I feel that mm-hmm. that's I, I thought that's what well. I got. To, two people got to ask question, to ask ask two a question each, and that was it. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, because were some
2: great speakers. Yeah, absolutely. there were great speakers,
3: and you are the people you want to pick their brains with, and you didn't get that opportunity. And I just felt it was a really
1: a missed opportunity. Okay, well, let's let's cover a few of the topics briefly. So, standalone campaigns are dead. That was one of the provocative topics that um, that you covered, Camille.
2: Yeah, uh, Dale Cohen, uh, GM of Big Pond Online Network, and Nick Hodge, Hodges. Hodge, yeah, from uh, Clevenger. Yeah, yeah. Surname with Clevenger, uh, Digital CD. They both pretty much said this: the idea of the standalone campaign is dead. In that, you launch a big above the line campaign and go, okay, that's it, and moving on to the next one. Uh, because basically what you need to do now in this day and age with brands is continue the conversation. So so basically what they're saying is that not that brands are doing that, but more and more brands should do that if they want to kind of continue to engage with consumers through social networking, for example. So even if you launch a social net, network, networking-led campaign, don't end it on the 31st of March. When the campaign's over, keep yeah. talking to them online. That's a nice
1: sort of advertising to finally catch up with PR then. <laughs> well, this was, but this was a sort of ongoing theme of the conference because one of the sessions I covered had, in fact, Telstra all over the place because I think they're in your session too. Yeah. But they talked about Second Life, and uh, to begin with, the, the the speaker was very much making the argument that yes, it's like holding a party, and just as it's getting going at midnight, you kick everyone out until sort of a couple of awkward questions from the floor was like, well. Didn't you close second your Second Life site in December, and um, uh, it didn't come up? But they, of course, closed the the Telstra and Now We Are Talking uh, blog, which had obviously been quite controversial. last year as so, well, but they're saying they've, they've they've kind of learnt from that and go where the consumers are. And it just the conversations weren't happening anymore on Second Life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe brands had actually bought the bought the hype and that was why they're moving, yeah. you know, moving their resources. The, to the same thing we said about Facebook. MySpace,
3: though, there's a lot of companies just moving out of MySpace as well now, because um, they realise it's not, it's not the area they want to be in because consumers aren't there And less want. arguably you want to talk about music or entertainment. Exactly, or and then that mostly that music, you know what yeah. I mean, whereas cause people in entertainment are still going to, are using Facebook more, more so.
1: Paul, do you, do you see brands um, buying digital hype going... You know, last year I guess it was about, or the year before was about Second Life. Um, do you do you see yeah, that
0: occurring? Five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, as you say, a lot of it's hype. Uh, at the end of the day, if you're going to communicate with a consumer, whether you're using above the line or PR or any of the other tools, it has to be a continuous conversation. You know, one-off campaigns are effectively not efficient because a, a consumer expects a continuous dialogue, and you have to actually not only have continuous dialogue, but actually integrate all of the tools uh, at your disposal, including digital. So I think. Actually, this is right, but it's pretty much stating the obvious, I think. Mm. Another um, topic that came up was
1: best job in the world, which was tourism, Queensland's this idea that you, you win the best job in the world. How much impact did, did, did that have from the other side of the world to you, Paul? Oh, there was a
0: lot of coverage in the newspapers, yeah. I mean, every every paper was covering it, and this was presented as being the job, you know, this is the one dream job, mm-hmm. you know. And, of course, Queensland, it seems incredibly idyllic, you know, if you're sitting in the UK on a snowy winter morning. Mm. But I wonder do you do you now look on it as something that
1: happened rather than an ongoing conversation? When was the last time you heard about that?
0: Kim? Well uh, the last time I heard about it was when you reminded me today that we were gonna talk about it. <laughs> so, you know, it's not exactly it was a bit of a, a bit of a push, you know, big sort of blur and then silence. And come uh, here, what was what was said about that at the conference? Well that was
2: one example that was put forward by Nick from Cleminger as example of that was one great campaign, and let's all remember it was a multi award winning campaign It was also
3: a campaign that had a one point two million throw out you, you find the envying PR advertising that gets one point two million throw out and they'll be able to do an amazing job most of the camp i mean like the funds that we deal with in PR are ranting now okay. God. <laughs> sorry it oh, just guys. annoys me because it wins all these awards yeah you know, it's did easy win an award if you one point two million and a great idea Do you know what great ideas are when you get, when you manage a campaign with fifteen thousand. And uh, you get an amazing ROI. That's what a good campaign is. It's not throwing 1.2 million. which 400,000 for the campaign, plus a prize, plus 800,000 and above the line. Is I mean,
2: 1.2 million much in this day and age? It is, um, if you, it
3: is for a, an online campaign. Is a global budget? I
2: thought it was more integrated than just online. No, it was 800,000
3: 800, for above the line and then 400,000, I
1: think, on spent on...
2: Like mm-hmm. Doing everything else, that's, that's still a lot of money. Yeah, it is, but okay. Well, lots,
1: lots uh, to cover this morning. So we'll, we'll move on, but brand. we'll stick with digital. Um, now, <laughs> yet again, Google has found a, another way of making a little bit more money. This time in the form of a logo. So, if you're using Google Maps and you, you might look at your local map and zoom in, and you where you might have seen before ATM marked, you could now see the bank's brand marked So banks will pay to, or, or whichever the brand is that might appear there. And they'll pay, just like any other digital thing, by a sort of CPM basis, Mm -hmm. so... For every thousand v- views that get served, they'll they'll pay for it. Good idea, Scott, do you think? is it? Oh, uh, no. Good
3: idea. I'm not quite sure how they'll work out the, the payment. What well, if I'm just scrolling across a page to find something? You know, How
1: does it, it know? Do I have to click on the, the, the ATM logo or something? No, I think it's e- each time it's served on the page. So if that logo appears on the page, then that will count as... Well, they're going to make an those. absolute
3: fortune if there are people who use Google Maps to get their way around places. Um, personally, I think it's a great idea. I mean, if <laughs> I'm looking for McDonald's and I pull up my Google Maps and there's a little M, I go, brilliant, it's the closest place, I'll go there. You know, if it I need a pub, I, I, need...
1: I noticed you, you tweet in great excitement about the likes of McDonald's. I, I noticed on your Twitter stream last night you were very excited that you'd found a 24 hour drive through. Yeah, i was sorry for 24, 24 hour Hungry Jacks. That was because I was drunk. <laughs> well, I hope it wasn't a drive through then. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's the one
3: in South Darling. It's just Hungry Jacks. You walk into it's fine. I live around the corner from it. You clearly don't get out enough. <laughs> no, I uh, promise I'm out too much. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> okay, eat too well, much McDonald's. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> let's get back to uh, to radio. So the, and, and niches, as we were talking about earlier. So the, the great baby boomer experiment has ended. DMG has killed Vega and replaced it with classic rock. Well, as Big Kev
3: used to say, I'm excited. Sydney's newest radio station is Classic Rock 95.3. one for your feedback. So you've got it on at the Big Wheels Cafe in Botany?
2: We have Maroon Always.
3: Hang on, you've got it on Always. It's only 17 minutes old, but thank you for your support. Sydney's Classic Rock 95.3 FM with Steve Earle.
1: Now, Paul, you used to run uh, the BBC's Radio 1
0: in the UK. Um,
1: reformatting a station to that extent is a pretty desperate measure, do you think?
0: Well, I guess this is a commercial station, and they've obviously decided they need to find a way to reinvigorate it. Now, what is not clear, I think, is the extent to which the format's changed and the extent to which the label on the door has changed. Um, classic rock sounds to me like a safer format it sounds like they're going to go for more familiar more big artists you know songs which are going to be instantly recognizable as opposed to playing maybe some more esoteric stuff and that's a very safe and obvious thing to do if you're going to try and build ratings and therefore revenue but it may not be the right thing for the audience so with your previous sort of program controller hat on
1: what what process do you go through to get to that point where you make a change as big as that
0: Well, I mean, the key thing is to make sure you don't lose audience. Now, uh, at the Radio 1 and the BBC, we actually wanted to lose audience because the issue then was the commercial sector were arguing that Radio 1 was too commercial. So by actually losing audience, the government believed the station had become more public service and less commercial, and therefore it was in our interest to actually do it badly to lose audience. This is clearly different in this situation. But but bring your audience younger as well, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, that's a continual problem because radio stations, you tend to get to sort of... regard a radio station as your friend. And so radio stations naturally get older with time because the listeners stay with them and you get older and the station gets older. So you've got to make a concerted effort to actually abandon the listeners at one particular end and bring in new listeners all the time. And that's a hard thing to do. Camille.
2: Well, I mean, one, I would, would agree with you. There's a presumption that the old Vega listeners are going to stick around for a classic rock, which is quite different, a different proposition, really.
3: Baby boomers and classic rock are kind of similar to me. Oh. I think so. I Does mean... everyone
2: like rock then? As, uh... No, no, i will
3: say that most of the, the baby boomers that I know are rock fans. Do you I'm, like rock? I'm not a baby boomer, back <laughs> off.
1: Well, that's, <laughs> I guess that's one of the things. baby boomers. I, I get the impression, but baby boomers don't t- tend to define themselves as baby boomers. So it's one of those kind of labels that
0: that marketers might quite like, but does it mean very much? I don't think it means very much, and I haven't heard it again for a long time since I walked into your studio. I think that uh, it is probably oversimplifying things to say that baby boomers just like classic rock. You know, there's clearly a segment who will. And if we're talking about you know Alice Cooper and Black Sabbath and Deep Purple stuff like that, I can understand that. Fun, Alice Cooper has
1: a. Um, a syndicated show as part of the uh, as part of the lineup. There, so, yeah. there,
0: there you go. Um, I suspect that uh, there's also an appetite for new music too. I think nobody who's a real music fan wants to be of course in Aspic. Uh, you always want to hear new stuff as well as the stuff you love, and I think that might be the downfall here.
1: I suppose the other question I had for myself was, and they, they did give it a good go and they stayed with it for a long time, but I, I just wondered whether sometimes this is something you wrote about. Camille, this decided that you've got to stick with the format for a long, long time before people get used to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
2: I pose the question that perhaps you know what. Wasn't a case of not enough demand, but the niche was just too small for this market to sustain another player. So we've got Gold FM, we've got WSFM already. And for me, and this is just purely personal, I don't, I think there's much of a match between the three of them. I didn't think anything, any either of them were any better, really. But one they've the, been there longer.
1: One of the examples that Camille used in the piece that she wrote was Heart FM from the UK, where they just stuck with it and stuck with it and stuck with it, the same format, and just sneaked
0: up, you know, half a ratings point at a time. Mm-hmm. Well, Heart's success has been its consistency, actually, and they've now been in the market ten years or so. They overtook Capital, who were the number one station in London, and they're now Heart consistently, you know, right up there at the top. They've also the station out around other metropolitan areas and heart's now quite a force. I mean ultimately it's quite a small playlist. You know, they play six hundred songs and they play them over and over again. And if you if you like Michael Jackson or Candy Staten, that's absolutely fine. So but it does get y- a bit boring. It's
1: always Young Hearts Run it's Free. It's always it? Young Hearts Run
0: Free from nineteen seventy six.
1: Yes, we that DJ code of you never get tired of hearing that. You don't <laughs> which means I hate having to play this all over again. <laughs> it is a good record though. <laughs> but not not maybe every day. Now, um, it seems like we've been doing nothing but conferences this week, but another industry gathering this week that was a little bit different was um, the Battle of Big Thinking, which was a really interesting idea. So 15 speakers all trying to persuade the audience that they've got the biggest brain, Talking three talking about each topic, each one only having 15 minutes, very strictly a countdown appearing beside the stage. Um,
2: and this was the first as well, wasn't it? So uh, the, this was a, the,
1: the first. So I I, 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 I was there for pretty much the whole event, which was um, which was quite a marathon because obviously it was about sort of five hours. But but you're oh. right. It was a, a, a first. It was um, organised by the um, the account planning group, which is sort of you know represents I guess the, the strategists within ad agencies, but tried for a much wider footprint so that. Um, uh, the idea being it wasn't just about agencies talking to agencies. So mo- most of the speakers weren't from agency backgrounds. But there were some, you know, really interesting arguments made. So, yeah, I mean, Which I... What did,
2: um, did you like the most, uh, well, Tim? I, I, it was the most exciting? Yeah, well, I'll t-
1: I'll, uh, I wouldn't have agreed with the actual overall winner. So what they did was they had the five topics, so business, storytelling, advertising slash marketing media and government and social so you, you, you then voted a winner from each of those by text and then you then had one over a winner now in the end the uh, the winner gave an absolutely braver performance, a guy called Richard Salmon um, it was very much just around the idea of hey be brave don't be mediocre and it, it involved him kind of roaming the stage and shouting a lot um <laughs> and it, it, it was all hosted by julian murrow from the chaser so he um he kind of made the point when he got off you know which is just about been able to overcome his crippling fear of social speaking so I, I i i i did think that the in the end it was um style won through it was good, good content but it was style mm-hmm. i actually would probably have chosen um Uh, John uh, Bradshaw who's just leaving Virgin Mobile to um, take up with one of the beer brands actually, who's just making the argument that the single most important thing to brands, when everything else is gone when price and differentiation is gone and we're all outsourced to call centres in India or he's making the argument when Africa gets its act together India will start looking too expensive for call centres uh, but when pricing is gone, branding differentiation is gone the only thing that you'll have left is the brains of your top people and the talent of your top people and the management of your top people so you shouldn't be handing that sort of management to the HR people because it's too important to let them get their hands on it um you should be restructuring to make sure that your business is built even if it means buying back 30% of the shares so that um you can motivate them better mm, um okay. so uh, i guess Paul it's one of those clichés isn't it you know people are your biggest asset but annoyingly it's kind of true as well
0: i think annoyingly, it is kind of true i mean we are you know in a in a sort of modern economy where in fact you can't really buy a bad car unless it's called toyota <laughs> and most way <laughs> way we, uh, <wee,
3: laughs> let's all calm down there people okay. declaration of interest scott, allegedly yeah
1: well declaration of interest uh, scott does some of the digital pr for toyota okay well i'm sure your toyota is brilliant here in
0: australia um but you know beer no, is, seven days without a to crash sorry that's mean <laughs> no, that's that, that long no, I'm not sure um, but beers you know most beers are, are good there's not such thing as a bad beer you know and, and the traditional wisdom was Actually, the only way to differentiate was via marketing. Um, ultimately, it is about the best ideas and about innovating and driving forward, so it's right. This is my voice.
1: Well, no worries about that. Now, we've a lot to race through, so we'll we'll race into yet another new subject again, which is um, Bersa Marstella did a um, survey this week, Camille, which you wrote about, which effectively is saying that Aussie brands aren't making the most of their engagement with consumers and with journalists in that um, when they put out press releases, they're not multimedia enough, I guess is the way of putting it. Yeah, I
2: suppose they focused a little bit more on the the corporate websites of companies. So they looked at at the top 20 brands on the interbrand list. And pretty much out of all of them, Telstra was the only one that stood out as a good example of having close to best practice. Okay, so I'm talking about having rich media, video, audio, extra information on their corporate website. I think it's probably an area that you don't really think as a really good PR front for your company. I we sense. had a
1: conversation about this, what rich media actually consists of because everyone sort of defines it slightly differently. Now, Scott, let me bring you in as a PR practitioner. Hello. The digital press release. <laughs> what What? What? What really um, should it consist there's, of? There's,
3: there's a lot of different names for the social media release, digital press release, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, it depends on what information you've got and what information you need to send out what are the uh, basics,
1: what should you include uh, you
3: should contain the the standard release I suppose, or at least a few lines with quotes so journalists can then pick and choose what they want from it um, an image or a video to back it up if possible, some uh, sound clips if possible, some little sound bites that they can just grab, if the, you know, the radio can grab it or if you want to run it on the website or something um, and that's basically the gist of it. Was what it should contain.
2: Well, you, you know, I think you're a bit ahead of some some PR practitioners in that case.
3: Well, I mean, I, mean, I was doing social media releases uh, four years ago for Paramount Pictures. I mean, we sent out our releases. You know, contained links so that you could then they could then go bounce back and grab um, the trailer if they wanted it. Um, it would contain everything they needed basically, and you know that was the, the key to. It. I just figured at that time, uh, I based it on um, a US. PR agency, um, whose name I've just forgotten, I'll remember and bring it up next week, but they they, they launched their first social media release in 2004. And, uh, you know, they, the format they came up with then was as, as the format that should still be used today. It's a great
1: format. Mm. It's, it's packed, and it it's contains all the information that media need. Okay, well, I want to zip through a couple more topics. New um, lifestyle website um, launched this week, Cherry Picked, which I quite like the name of. Um, so that's the latest uh, online guide, this time aimed purely at, um, at Sydney ciders. Camille, what, what do you think of it?
2: Yeah, so 18 to 39-year-olds, food, so, fashion, your, your
1: target audience.
2: Apparently. It seems to be um, a slightly younger feel than the um, Daily Addict, uh, which...
1: Which is another Sydney yeah, website. We, yeah. We yes, And right. Daily yes, Sydney.
2: Right. I, I suppose for me, now she said that she um, identified a gap in the market. Now, I don't think any one anyone of us <laughs> believes that. It's just another competitor and who would you go for? This, for me, has a bit of a young, younger feel to it, even um, to a Daily Addict. And I don't know. I don't... Find the design and layout is kind of slick and arresting as a daily addict. So just in terms of looks to begin with, initially not really sold yet. Well, it's a,
1: I guess to start off with, it's a WordPress platform, isn't it? And then Absolutely, the other debaters, yeah. does it really WordPress live and platform. breathe as a as an email newsletter or as a website? And I think they'd make the argument that it's all about the the, the daily newsletter that you know. Yeah,
2: daily. I've been I actually signed up to it as soon as I received the, the release, actually, out of interest because I am the target market, and it hasn't really. Excited me because
1: I guess then it comes to the discovery, much. doesn't it? You're relying on them to yeah. find the hot new place. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the the theme at the moment almost does seem to be discovery. Okay, well, um Scott, gaps left in the market there? Do you think? I think there's always gaps in the market to be
3: filled, and you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this one. Okay, well, look, finally, we always seem to
1: finish this podcast talking about beer. Yay! So, I'm sure we all remember the band Carlton Draft ads and. All of our debate about what was behind it Well they finally got released to the public this week Um, So um, let's just take a we'll, We'll take a very quick listen To what all the fuss has been about See that man Driving his car, right over a hill, right over a hill. It gave him a feeling, riding his coolies. It's the Carlton Drop Tingle, the Carlton Drop Tingle. That tingle reminds him he's been working too hard to have a beer with his friends he hasn't seen for so long. It's the Carlton Drop Tingle, the Carlton Drop Tingle. Every man knows the Carlton Drop Tingle. He knows the sign when it comes the feeling in his man plums now he's
0: tasting a delicious beer
1: brought to his attention by the carlton draft tingle it's the carlton draft tingle carlton draft tingle every man knows the carlton draft tingle now camille let's recap how we got to this point
2: Basically, last last month there was supposed to be a trade briefing uh, to unveil the new ad as part of the Made from Beer campaign, long-running campaign, successful executions such as Big Ad. And then in the last minutes, they decided basically well, they decided to
1: yeah they 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 basically they, they canceled, <laughs> decided to reschedule they?
2: the briefing yes. uh, to a yet to be confirmed future date but they
1: were a bit honest weren't they because normally in that sort of thing mm. they just sort of say oh sorry slight delay but they actually were quite upfront that they pulled it well we them it.
2: further about it. I was like well, why is this happening you know this is supposed to be the big unveil big reveal for the big new ad I said well basically um, the ads were too risque they went too far and we're going to reshoot we're going to go from start from scratch and I'm like really. Why course, are you telling me this? I'm a journalist. <laughs> 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 Maybe
1: they've found a new brand of honesty mm-hmm. out there. Oh,
2: that's what we thought, perhaps. Well
1: At this point, now cynics started saying, it's obviously a plan to, in a week or two, leak it onto YouTubers. Here are the mm-hmm. band ads that are too hot for television. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, this week, the email came in saying, guess what you can find online?
2: Not quite on YouTube, but on an actual website. They've... They've released seven new executions?
1: Yes, the website's called Any Excuse. Now let's let's actually talk briefly about the ads themselves. So um Paul and Scott, you've both had a chance to look at them. Paul, what what, what, what do you make of the ads? Would well, they sell
0: beer to you? I must admit I was surprised at how risque they were. I mean, I, I can't quite believe that an ad for this execution would go all the way through a marketing department without them knowing they're going to get into hot water at the end. Yeah. I mean that's just beyond
3: belief. I mean there's one with around an erection. I mean, really, at what point surely you go I don't know if that's make TV.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's pretty clear there's going to be a problem with that, you know, wherever that's scheduled. I mean, to me, I think probably the sort of the, the, the cynical view is this, this seems like it's an attempt to make this brand seem really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, and it must have been a concerted effort. And I mean, yeah, there's no way that you'd be that open. If, if, you'd, if you'd generally screwed up and there hadn't been a proper process of approval, you'd try and cover that. You, you see, you, I have a
1: slightly course. different theory. My theory is that the agency was fully behind it, many of the people in the marketing department were fully behind it and it was only when it got very senior, which is why there was maybe slightly more honesty, because there were people within the organisation who were trying to rock it.
3: it That's possible. That's possible because I mean
0: some agencies are very persuasive, aren't they? And I mean often you can find there are some really interesting creative uh, agency ads made that maybe don't even work but there's someone who's got carried along with the enthusiasm of the agency. So I think it's possible. I mean, any any reasonably senior manager though, not just the top manager, would think, ouch, this is going to be a problem. I mean, I, I, I think the alarm bells would have gone off earlier, I think. Mm-hmm. And
1: I, I suppose the the, the the second point that I'd make as well is the, the digital strategy then, which is, is to put them on this, you know, any excuse, microsite, rather than out there in the wild, on YouTube or Vimeo They'll or anywhere else, uh, they will probably end up on YouTube. Well, though. yeah, but it'll be because somebody else rips yeah. them from there. It won't be under their own control. And to me, it just that against Max, They're not, not you know, it's it, it feels like a digital strategy on the fly.
3: Yeah, where like, like here we go, we've got it, but what do we do with it? And then we'll we'll put it there, but we'll put it anywhere else. Realistically, what they should be doing is it should be on YouTube. They should have a Facebook page set up for it. You know, get people involved. Maybe see if people can come up with their own risky little songs or something like that. You know, that's what they should be doing to try and get people more engaged and get a conversation about well, it. Maybe they're hoping it
0: will go out organically. Rather than mm. it being looking like a conservative campaign by management, they're hoping yeah. it might just sort of gradually eke out into the, you know, into the advertising system. And then the public will actually take it on, possibly.
1: Mm. Well, uh, another bear which has been up to interesting stuff, Camille, has been 2E's, um, which has... Uh, Come, come up with, a, I guess, a new way of creating a 30-second ad.
2: Yeah, Alain uh, Nathan's Two at his Extra Jive. Basically, they launched a new campaign a few months ago called The Lab. And it was off the back of looking for an unsigned Australian artist or band to collaborate with Mark Ronson, the UK producer, on a new song. And the new song would would be basically the ad, would, would be the track for a new TV ad. So they've just released it, and there's been some mixed responses to it, actually. Um, so the
1: agency was BMF behind BMF, it, BMF, yeah,
2: the long-running... Ac- agency for uh, to his extra dry and basically the ad is 30 seconds of, of the clip and you then it points you to the website where you can download the song so the idea is to drive people to actually get i suppose get some airplay for the actual song and i don't know for me you know Do you remember the tongue ad where it was a song, Satisfaction, and it became a big dance hit off the back of the success of the actual TV ad?
3: Really? Because it was a massive hit in the UK without the tongue ad. Well, maybe in Australia. I'm, I'm, I'm
2: thinking in Australia in terms of the actual awareness and penetration of that song off the back of the ad. It got quite big. And it's trying to almost emulate that success. I don't know if it's going to work.
1: But the idea of finding a new band and championing it, I mean, Paul, what do you make of of that idea for brands getting involved with that sort of thing?
0: Well, I think generally when you try and find a new band, you don't. You know, the best new bands come up organically. You know, any competition to find a band is normally doomed to failure. So I think fundamentally wrong strategy, mistake... Well, on that, <laughs> you on it here first. Ooh, destroyed. Destroyed. On, that, on that painfully negative note
1: That's where we have to leave it um, Thank you to my co-hosts ever Camille Alacon and Scott Rohde Thanks Tim And also to uh, to Paul Robinson Friend of the podcast for joining us again Thank you Very And nice. also to CBS Interactive for their Studio Production was by Georgina Pearson That was the Mumbrella podcast I'm Tim Burrows